Psalm 2. Why do the people conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off all their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings... Be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his will with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Hello, good morning. Uh, my name's uh, Dave, if I haven't met you already. A uh, special uh, welcome to you. Great to have you here uh, this morning. Please do keep your Bibles open. We'd love you to, to follow along. Well, last week I said that we will continue to read uh, Psalm 119, uh, which is all about God's Word. We'll take a verse each, each week. And so here is Psalm 119, verse 2. Blessed are those who seek his statutes and seek him with all their heart. Let's pray. Almighty Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that when we know and trust your Son, we can live the blessed life, living in accord with your word. Help us to seek, serve, honour and obey you always, to keep your statutes Help us do that, particularly now as we look at Psalm 2 together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 20 years ago, I was living in England, and I loved it, actually. I loved the football or or soccer. Uh, I loved the history, and I loved the long, long, long summer days. But one thing that really struck struck me when I was there was people's devotion and love of the royal family. There was such an affection and love for them, particularly of our late Queen. But this devotion extends beyond the people of England. Maybe you felt the same great sadness when the Queen died uh, last year. Well, a few years uh, back now, uh, some American tourists, they loved the Queen, they were devoted, they wanted to meet her. And so they went to Buckingham Palace, uh, but were told that she's not there. And they, they were told, no, 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 she's up at her uh, summer residence uh, up north, uh, at her Balmoral Castle up there in Scotland. And so they travelled up to Scotland uh, to try to meet her. And here they were walking around in the fields uh, one day when they met uh, an elderly woman. Here she is. She was walking her corgi dogs 
wearing tweed jacket and a headscarf. And they got chatting with her and they said, oh, whereabouts are you from? And she said, oh, I'm from, from London. They said, oh, wow. And how long have you been coming up here for? Oh, for, for over 80 years. Like, oh, wow. You must have met the Queen then, they asked. And she, to which she replied, no, never. But the point then pointing to this big bulky guy next to her, she said, oh, but he has. And the tourists, they were pumped. They were excited. Oh, wow, you've met the Queen. And they, they asked all these questions like, oh, what is she like? And uh, like, you know, and he said, oh, she's a bit cheeky and uh, has a good sense of humour. Uh, and then they got photos with the, with the guy that had met the Queen. And, and as they walked off, they were as happy as Larry. They were pumped completely unaware that they had just spent time with royalty. You see, this woman was the queen and that solid bloke uh, was her bodyguard. To have been a fly on the wall when when the penny dropped for them uh, a little time later. They were in the presence of royalty but had no idea. Maybe if we had met the queen, things would have gone different, maybe. But in our psalm this morning, we're going to meet God's king, God's appointed king who rules not just britain but the universe Uh, and instead of excitement in meeting royalty being in the presence uh, of the king there is hatred there is discord there is disgust you see there is a desire for freedom you see that is the first thing we see in psalm 2 a desire for freedom have a look follow along with me from verse 1 Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. You see, there's a desire for for freedom here, to be free from God and his rule. He's He's anointed, he's appointed king. And you see, there would be all sorts of people included here. Uh, Nations, peoples, kings and rulers, they don't want God to rule. They want the power. We just need to flick on the news or, or scroll through our news feed to see this, don't we? With presidents, prime ministers, sheiks, kings, dictators. But we could also include CEOs business owners, military leaders, leaders of any field. Ultimately, they oppose God and his universal rule over all things. They want to break the cords and chains of of justice and peace. They want to live how they see fit. Even if it does mean that some people are harmed. You see, there is a great desire to be free from God, to make our own decisions, to live our way, not God's way. And this desire for freedom and the unwelcome constraint of of God's rule must also include that hostile neighbour down the street or the keyboard warrior or troll who who intentionally instigates conflict and hostility and arguments online but really addresses the individualistic hedonistic society in which we live where there is the pursuit of pleasure and sensual self-indulgence that drives much of the people in the community we live 
You see, we believe in our right to rule our own lives. And we will push back against authority, any authority, with an attitude of, hey, you can't tell me what to do. And yet, actually, this includes each one of us. Because ultimately, we have a desire for freedom away from God's good rule. To live my way, thank you very much, not God's way. You see, as, as people, we do not have much in common. We are divided on almost everything. Whether we support the Blues or the Maroons, whether we like Fords or Holdens, whether we say swimmers or bathers, whether we fold or scrunch, we are divided people and yet we are united in our desire for freedom, united in our hatred of God and his King. You see, as we see here in, in, in Psalm 2, we're seeing a mob starting to form. There's this riot about to begin as they become united against God. And it seems that they, they have the advantage. They have the, the numbers on their side against the Lord and his king. But did you notice the question? Did, did you notice the question at, at the start? I love the way that Barry read it for us. Why? Why do the nations plot and rage against the Lord? Why? You see, the psalmist is puzzled, uh, astonished, surprised by their actions. And it's a bit like Earth. Here's Earth. Uh, my kind of stole my thunder a little bit. Anyway, I'm going to take it a little bit differently. But here is Earth. Earth is huge, right? It takes 45 hours if you were to fly an aeroplane, a passenger plane, around the globe. 40, it's massive, isn't it? It's huge. But compared to our sun, the Earth is small. Earth seems big, but actually compared to the sun, well, we are tiny and the, the sun is ginormous. But then if you compare our sun, the star, uh, to the biggest star in the galaxy, the UI Scooty, then our star, our, our sun is tiny, minuscule compared to this one. You see, we live on earth and, and the earth seems so big and compared to our sun, well, we seem so small. And yet, when you compare our sun, which seems so big compared to the biggest star, well, how tiny and insignificant we are. And yet the Lord, the God, he created every single one of these things. He spoke and they came into existence. And yet here are these nations, these people plotting these, these puny little tiny little nations coming together to form a mob, a riot, a rebel against God. And so God makes a declaration. He says there, have a look there from verse 4. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, on my holy nation. You see, we're seeing this, this riot starting to form. And, and we might be thinking that some riot police are going to be sent up to, to break, up the, break up the situation. But instead, we see God sitting in heaven, looking down at the situation, and he's chuckling. <laughs> but, but it's not like a chuckle, like a, a laugh, ha-ha kind of thing. 
Rather, it is a laugh at the absurdity, the ridiculousness of it. These tiny, teeny tiny, weeny nations think that they can come together and take on God. You see, it's like this kid saying to Dwight uh, Johnson, the rock, saying, hey, what, I'm going to take you down. But actually, it's even more like that. It's like the foolishness of an, ooh, uh, a foolishness of an ant saying to the rock, we're going to take you down. And then the rock just going, stomp. But you see, their actions aren't just foolish. Their actions are sinful. And God is angry. He is wrathful at the way that they have treated him. And while some people may not like the idea of of God being angry, it is really just like the way that we can get angry when we see really awful bad news about, say, a child. You know, when you you flick on the news or, or scroll through and you see a child that's been mistreated, abused, neglected, and it is right for us to feel angry at those things, at the way people can be mistreated in this world. And so if it's right for us to feel angry at those things, it is right for God to be angry at their actions, for their rejection, their hostility, their rebellion against God, their maker. And so God responds in verse 6. He has installed his king. He sets him in place. God places his king on the throne. And it is God's divine choice. Did you notice the emphasis on the, on the my, my king, on my mountain? Now, Zion's uh, a hill uh, that Jerusalem is on. And, so, and, and that is where the temple was when, when it was there and God dwelled among his people. And so when we see the word Zion, it's, it's really similar to, to Jerusalem, kind of like the, the same place. Kind of like how if we said to someone, hey, let's meet at the new uh, Wagga Beach playground, we might say someone like to, to that. But did you know it's actually called the Riverside Adventure Playground? I didn't. I just found that out this week. Um, and so you could use either kind of name. Uh, it's the same kind of thing. You have Zion, you have, you have Jerusalem. And God enthroned his king. He's placed his king in charge in his place in answer to these rebellious people. And then God's anointed, chosen king, he speaks from verse 7. Have a look there. He says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Now the king on view here uh, is a Davidic king. That is a king in the line of David, King David. Uh, David was God's chosen king. And in in 1 Samuel 13, he's described as a man after God's own heart. That is, he was a a faithful servant of the Lord. And when David was king, God had used him mightily to do amazing, amazing things. He defeated enemies and and conquered uh, nations and people and and was even able to rule in in Jerusalem, the, the capital, where God would dwell amongst his people. And at this moment of peace, when David's sitting in, in, in his palace, uh, in his beautiful palace in, in Jerusalem, uh, he noticed that God was in a tent, in the tabernacle. And so he thought to himself, he said, 
actually in 2 Samuel 7, a really key passage. He said, hey, God, I want to build you a house. I live in this beautiful house. You're in a tent. Hey, let me build you a house. But then God flips it. God says to him, no, 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 you won't build me a house. I will build you a house. It will be a kingdom. And in fact, one of your sons will reign and rule over this kingdom forever. And this son will have a really special relationship with me, with God. And this is what he says. I, God says, I will be his father and he will be my son. You see, it's from this point that David and his sons after him, would, uh, the Davidic kings, they would be called the sons of God. It was a title, and in fact, it was an unconditional promise. There was always a promise that there would be a son on the throne forever. And so when a new Davidic king was, was enthroned, they became, they were begotten in the language from our passage, uh, that they became the son of God. They would have a, a really special relationship with God, like a, like a father-son relationship. And, and he could ask of God his will. We see that in verse 8. Have a look there. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Now God's Psalm 2 king isn't like the rebellious kings in the world. He's invited to ask, to pray, to rule the world, that things might become his inheritance, his possession. And God promises to answer his prayer. And God's king will rule with power and might and discipline. We see that in verse 9. Have a look there. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. You see, God's appointed king will have great authority in ruling his world to dash, to smash, to break up the rebellion and to rule the world. You see, here is God's declaration. He has appointed his king to rule his world. Now, last week I mentioned that Psalm 1 and 2 together form as a bit of an introduction uh, to the rest of the Psalms. They help us to read the rest. Uh, and and uh, so as a really quick aside, I thought I'd kind of show us why that is the case. Uh, one of the reasons is uh, there is no superscription. That's kind of the, the, the info that comes before, um, not the title in bold that you might have in your Bibles, but the kind of superscription like the a Psalm of David or the Lilies of the Covenant. Thanks, Mike. Um, now, these are really significant. So read them. They're, they're part, of the, part of the scriptures. But, but in these two Psalms, there is none. There's, there's no uh, superscription. Other things that's significant about them is there's these repeated words that kind of link these two psalms together. Uh, one of them is the word meditate uh, from Psalm 1. That, uh, you know, the, the blessed man meditates in God's word day and night. Uh, well, it's the same word as the word for plot in Psalm 2. You see, the word is a, a word for, for murmuring, to, to, to mutter words. And so in Psalm 1, the blessed one will, will mutter God's words... Well, in, well in, but in Psalm 2, they are plotting, they are muttering rebellion against God. Uh, both Psalms speak about the way, the way of the, the wicked and the way of the righteous, Psalm 1. And in Psalm 2, it is the way leading to destruction. But also, 
both psalms together are bookended with blessing. Blessed is the one who walks in the way. Oh, hold on. Oh, yeah. Blessed. Uh, uh, there's the blessed man in Psalm 1. Uh, and then there is blessed are those who uh, find refuge in the king. You see, together they show us that God's Psalm 2 king will be the blessed Psalm 1 man who lives in according with God's word. And so we're left wondering, looking for who is this king? Who is this king who will live that blessed Psalm 1 life? And we see in Deuteronomy in chapter 17, Deuteronomy is a book that is written by Moses after God saves, rescues his people out of slavery in Egypt. And just before he gives them their own land, just before, just as they're about to enter the promised land in which God has promised them, God speaks to his people. And this is a point well before, they have, before they've got a king. Hundreds of years before that. But God tells his people in Deuteronomy 17 that their king must be a Psalm 1 man. You see, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, they they come together. But see, when it comes to the Davidic kings, those in the line of David, uh, David and his sons, they have a glimpse, they have moments where they're kind of a bit like the the Psalm 1 guy. Like David, who, who did it a little bit but then fails miserably by, by sleeping with Bathsheba and murders her husband to try to conceal his sin. And, and as we look at all the other kings, glimpses, sure, but they certainly did not live like the Psalm 1 man all the time and rule like the Psalm 2 king. And yet, there are moments in, in Israel's history where it does seem like God's king did rule like we see here in Psalm 2. Like Assyria. Assyria was this massive, ginormous, superpower, super mighty, who ruled from the 9th to the 7th century BC. They destroyed nations, eating nations for breakfast, lunch and dinner, decimating nation after nation, including uh, Israel uh, at that particular point. But, but at this particular point in, in uh, Jewish history, Judah was in the south, Israel was in the north, and, and, and Assyria came and decimated the north. Gone, destroyed. But as, but as Assyria came to kind of come into to, to, to Jerusalem, Assyria, this ginormous superpower, they could not penetrate. In fact, they returned home with their, with their tail between their legs. You see, here is a moment when God's king ruled that even this superpower could not penetrate. But then it didn't take long before the next superpower came along, Babylon, who destroyed Jerusalem. And so began the exile. You see, David and his sons, they they always fell short of the expectations of them. They never lived up to the the ideas to which they were measured. They rejected God and his rule, failing again and again and again. And so God's people would be left wondering, who is the king who will rule for forever? Because these promises continue through the prophets. Who is this Psalm 2 king who will rule, who will be the blessed Psalm 1 man? And then came Jesus, in whom the world hated. They hated his guts. He was rejected, despised. They, they raged and they plotted against him. 
And you see, Psalm 2 is quoted heaps and heaps and heaps and heaps in the New Testament. In fact, it's alluded to a lot. And each time it keeps on being connected with Jesus, like at Jesus' baptism, God speaks from heaven and says, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Again, at the transfiguration, this is my son, God speaks, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. We see this again, Psalm 2, quoted again and again. And again at the end, uh, when Jesus has died on the cross, the centurion, a man who knows death, a, a professional torturer, he knows death, seen so much death, he sees the way that Jesus dies. The earthquake, the the darkness for three hours, and he and those with him respond. They were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Now, the centurion, he was not a a, a Jewish man. He, He wouldn't have known these promises of God, and yet he declares, he can see Jesus for who he is. He is the Psalm 2, son of God, king. And while there's lots of declarations of Jesus being the Son, the Son of God, this really is confirmed uh, as reality, as, as true. It is demonstrated as truth when Jesus rises from the dead at his resurrection. You see, we see this in, in Romans uh, chapter 1, where Jesus, who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power, by his resurrection from the dead. You see, the resurrection showed that he truly is the son of God. You see, he is that son. Think back to 2 Samuel 7, that king who will, who will rule forever. He is the, the true all-powerful king appointed by God who reigns and rules over all. And he shows this to be true by rising from the dead, that he's the one who will live and reign and rule forever. You see, Jesus, he is the true Psalm 2 king who rules with absolute power and authority. The nations, the earth are his. Actually, the universe belongs to him and he rules it all. You see, God declares Jesus as his king. And so if this is true, that God's king rules and reigns with all power and authority, the question is, how will we respond to God's declared king? You see, it's decision time. Have a look there from verse 10. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. You see, it's decision time for these kings and and rulers of the world. And yeah, did you notice how gracious and merciful God is here? He actually offers them a chance to turn away from their rebellious ways 
and instead to turn towards him, to turn away from that life leading to, to destruction, to, to repent and respond correctly to the king. Be wise, be warned, their way leads to destruction. God is merciful. He is gracious in showing them how to respond wisely. Serve the king, celebrate his rule, kiss the son, and do this with the right fear, with all respect, with trembling. You see, it's a bit like the C.S. Lewis book, The Lion, Witch and the Wardrobe. You may have read it. There are the four kids who go into the wardrobe and enter the new world of Narnia. And they hear about the king who rules this place, the almighty, powerful king. And they're nervous. They're nervous about meeting this lion. And so one of the kids asks, well, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver replies, safe. Uh, Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe. Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. You see, God's appointed king, Jesus, he is the almighty, the powerful. We saw earlier, he can break them with a rod of iron, dash them to pieces, tremble before him, aware of his power and might. But he is good. He graciously welcomes people to rightly respond to him, to serve, to celebrate his rule, kiss the sun. Pay homage to him. This is a a sign of of humility and and obedience to the king. Because if not, well, danger comes. He's angry. His his wrath will be poured out on those who, who reject him. But to reject God and his king means, well, to face judgment, to face God's wrath and perish in the way leading to destruction. You see, but again, it's important to see God's grace and mercy being offered here. God gives them, he gives us actually, that opportunity to repent, to to trust his king. Jesus, who faced God's wrath, God's, God's anger on him so that we could live and that we could find refuge in him. Verse 12, blessed are all who take refuge in him. You see, the world tells us that to live the, the blessed, happy life, to do that is to, to live a life without God. You see, the world tells us that, that, that God's rule is oppressive, even though God graciously provides all that we would ever need. You see, we live in an age where, where we cry freedom, like, the, like William Wallace, the, the Scottish knight from the movie Braveheart, if you've seen it who leads a charge for fight for Scottish independence in the 12th century. But at the end of his life, under the torturer's knife, he musters his last breath, not to submit, but to yell, freedom! And yet this is the world in which we live. God's ways are seen to be oppressive, uh, bondage, The world tells us that true happiness and blessing comes with sleeping with whoever you want. To seek health and and wealth and and travel and and accomplishments without God at the centre. But as Psalm 2 shows us, these ways lead to destruction. 
and true freedom comes in living in relationship with God and finding refuge in Jesus, in the Son. You see, sin enslaves, but Jesus sets you free. From John 8, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. You see, true freedom comes by finding refuge in Jesus, in the Son of God. Finding shelter and protection in him. You see, when he died our death, he rose to life. And when we trust in him, he gives us that life too. And so, serve Jesus. Celebrate his rule. Kiss the Son. Honour and respect him in all that you do. This will be seen in the way that we live in in our obedience to his word. We saw this last week, didn't we? Blessed are those who delight, who meditate on God's word. But another thing that this psalm uh, shows us is that Jesus, he's the son of God, that he is the almighty, he is the one reigning king over all. Verse 8, who owns and rules the world. You see, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to Jesus. And so it's no wonder that he says to his disciples in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. You see, because if Jesus is the, the ruler of the world, and ultimate supreme authority is his over everyone, well then we are to go and make disciples of, of all people. We're to proclaim Jesus, speak of Jesus into this world that so desperately, desperately needs to know him because without him, we've seen destruction. And we're driven to speak in love. You see, it's our love of of people that, that wants us to speak and to warn. You see, I speak, you speak, we speak. We push through the pain line because of our love for people you see it's the conversations i've heard that you're having with some of your friends with people that you've you've known for years and and with people recently coming to faith they've they've loved their friends so much they wanted them to understand that jesus is the king the lord of all and as they've shared christ with friends well they are mocked teased ridiculed and sometimes even sadly friendships are ended And this is sad, so sad when we hear this happening. And yet it is our love of people that drives us to speak, that they can know the wonder of salvation, of trusting in him. But that doesn't mean we pick up our Bibles and smash people over the head. That's that's not what I'm saying. That's, That's not what I'm saying. But we do speak prayerfully, wisely, sensitively, driven by our love for them even if we're rejected. And we speak knowing that the world belongs to Jesus. We saw that in verse 8. Here is God's promise. I will make the nations your inheritance, he says to Jesus, the ends of the earth your possession. God says to Jesus, all things belong to him. This is his world, all things. And so we can have confidence knowing that this is his world to speak of him, the ruler of this world. But we can also have confidence to speak of Jesus because he has saved me, he has saved you if you put your faith and trust in him. You see how rebellious 
and stubborn and defiant I was against God and his son. And yet in his mercy, he humbled me. He led me to, to repentance and faith. And if God can do that in my heart, well, he can do that for anyone. He can do that for you. He can do that for your friends. You see, all authority in in heaven and earth belong to Jesus. He is the Son who rules and reigns over all. And so let us, verse 11, serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his Son or he'll be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let's pray together. Father, thanks so much for Jesus. Thank you that he is the king, your anointed king that rules and reigns over all things. Father, we live in a world where there is much hostility against Jesus, against you. And yet Jesus is the reigning, ruling king over all. Father, in light of that, please help us serve him, celebrate his rule, kiss the Son in all that we do. And please may it help us speak of Christ to those in this world who don't yet know you as Lord and King, that their ways may not be led to destruction, but that they may be blessed having found refuge in Jesus. Please give us confidence to speak, great boldness to speak, particularly when when people reject and despise us, but ultimately Jesus as we speak. Thanks that Jesus is the King and that we know him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.